Hey, it's Torre. Before the Who Was Prince launch, I had a chance to talk with super producer Jermaine Dupri about Prince's brilliance, his songs, his influence, the times that they hung out. Check out the full interview here as a special bonus supported by Remy Martin. Yo, what's good? How are you? I'm good. What's happening? Good. Nice to talk to you again. How are you? How's it going? All good. How you doing? Happy Juneteenth to you. Yeah, happy Juneteenth to you too, and everybody watching. What does this uh, What does this auspicious day mean to you? It really just makes me look at my life a lot different. Is like how. I won't say privilege, but how how lucky I am to not have to have gone through that, and how I would say blessed, not lucky. How blessed I am to not have have gone through that, and then how blessed I am to be able to give a life to others, and they don't have to go through anything remotely close to that. But you know, you have to go into it and pay attention to it, so you can understand how blessed you are. A lot of us don't even understand how blessed we are walking around. Even the, those that feel like they don't have anything, the fact that we're not in that time period, we're not slaves, we're not living on the ground, we're not, you know what I mean? It's a lot of life out here that we should be a little bit more happy about than a lot of people do. Yo, I feel very much um, that I stand on the ancestors' shoulders. Like I can almost feel it and that I owe them to do something valuable with my life and not just do whatever because the opportunities that I have are because of the fight and the struggle and the life and the death that they went through you know and not just the slaves but you know everybody in the generations after that the civil rights the black power movement definitely uh, an honor to talk to you again you know i mean i've always uh, i've always loved your music you know what i mean it, it it you know we we talked but just to be crystal clear again like you know i always loved your music back from when i was at emory in atlanta and before you changed Mariah Carey for me because I wasn't a Mariah Carey fan until you got a hold of her and then I was like yo I really I really like her on the Jermaine Dupree sound and somehow that got twisted that message got twisted to you that you know I mean I was like but I always mean like how could you like hip-hop and not like Jermaine Dupree uh, yeah I remember that and just vaguely when you're saying that now I'm like I thought yeah, it, it sounded, I don't know what, I remember it now. It, it sounded like, it was like, you never paid no attention till you heard the Mariah record. So now that you say it, I understand what you're saying, but I think, um, I was just like, what? He never heard nothing else I did besides the Mariah record? That's crazy. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't messing with her until you made her, translated her to be relatable to me. You know what I mean? But it was always, it was always, it was always Jermaine. So let's talk about Prince, because I got a podcast about Prince that's dropping today. Um, and, you know, I think as a musical genius, you understand Prince at a level that some of us don't. So let's, let's just, let's just go back to some of your first memories of Prince songs that you loved. Because I remember 
the first song that I heard that made me go, who is this guy? Um, well, I probably was too young to even know what the songs were. Um, but my mother, my mother's a huge Prince fan. Um, and, um, she, we, I, we was going to church. I was going to church. I'm Catholic. We were going to Catholic service. I remember my mother was getting baptized this, this night. This was the night that she was going to get baptized at church. But she it was also a Prince concert in town. And I'm just a kid, so I just got to go with my mother and do whatever. So I go to church with my mother. And as soon as my mother got baptized, she left the service. Like, soon as, like, immediately. That's a memory that's going to always be with me because my mother left church to go see Prince. She was like a, a Prince stand. She had to go see Prince. And, and and I think this was like the first album. So it was like... His first album? What is, what's that, Naughty? Well, Dirty Mind was the third album. Dirty Mind. Well, Dirty, I think this was Dirty Mind when it was like, when he started actually performing in other cities, I think it was probably the third album. I'm not sure, like I said, I was young, but I know my mother was like obsessed. Dirty Mind was the first album that really grabbed a lot of people and like propelled him to the next level. And that's the album that has a lot of the raunchy songs that I think you like. And some of those songs really shock the hell out of people. Which is the one that grabs you the most? Um, Head. And I, I got I, I, it's crazy because I have a crazy story. I, I, I was at his house one night and I walked in the bedroom and he was in the bedroom um, and I think some female artist was in there. I forget who, what female artist was in there. Will I Am was in there. And Mariah was in there, right? And it was all in his bedroom. We had, uh, it was he having a party at his house, but this little crew that had, you know, stepped away from the party and they went into his room and was having conversation. And Mariah called me, like she hit me and was like, come in here. So then I, found the room and I went in and it's my actual first time getting an opportunity to talk to Prince. Wow. Um, I went in there probably a little too ghetto, a little too much, too much sauce in my system. Um, and I was like, yo, how the fuck did you make, what made you make head? And he was like, <laughs> he was like, listen, he was like, listen, you can't, if you got to use that language, I'm not going to talk to you. And this was, Prince was like off of the cursing and all of that stuff was like out of his, he was, he was basically out of that with, with, within his system. And, um, I, like I said, I was sauced up. I was on, I was on the, I was on the drink and I couldn't, and it was my first, like I said, it was my first time actually getting the opportunity to talk to Prince. Right. So, um, I just wanted to start asking questions because I, I felt like for so long, this guy was like a guy that, you know, dressed the way he wanted to dress, but we knew he wasn't gay. Like right. he was like the only person walking around this earth that could walk around with his ass out and have one of the baddest females you ever seen in your life right beside him. And, right. and then two minutes later have another one who, you know, he was, he was, man, it was some pimpish, 
really very, very pimpish type of things going on with Prince. So for me, I was just so impressed by all of that. So, like I said, once I got an opportunity to talk to him, I was just like, man, so what, what was your inspiration for making head? And he was like, to me, <laughs> I don't even talk about those songs anymore. And I'm like, what? Hold on, man. I'm like, listen. I'm saying, I said, listen, you're Prince. And by the way, I said that too. And he, this by the time he was assembled. So he didn't even want to. I was, I just fucked up the whole party, basically. I went in there and I was just like, you know, I was just being me. I wanted, you know, I was, it was my time to speak to him. And I was just like, man, it's, he's here. It's him. He's right here. And he was in the room. He had his, you know, he had his high heels on, he, his party gear. But um, yeah, he ain't want to talk about it. I wanted to ask him why every raunchy song, because all of his dirty songs to me are incredible. Darling Nikki, um, everything, everything. I mean, even when, even um, the Vanity Six stuff, just him writing as a songwriter. I just was like, I just wanted to know what space he was in. Um, because that's who I am as a songwriter, you know, and I have, I have to find these spaces. So I was really, really um, heavily trying to ask him questions. <laughs> um, I mean, Head was crazy, but Sister was ill. I mean, Sister is a weird, awesome little song. There's no hook. It's just like 45 seconds of like this crazy story where he's getting done and taught by his sister and like he's kind of like screaming and she turned me out and like talk about that because that's maybe maybe his nastiest song. Yeah, I mean, like I said, when you listen to these records, I'm I mean, for me, I'm listening to these records trying to figure out what's the motivation. Is it actually real? Is this stuff actually taking place? Or is it like, are you just motivated to go in this space because you know other people are in this headspace? Um, I never got opportunity to get those answers from him, but I, I feel like I feel like he just was a writer. And he just was an incredible writer that that could go in a bunch of different spaces and create. You know, you could tell from like under Cherry Moon, like the mentality of like that and how you look at the, the things that he was doing, you know? Um, it just felt like he was just a very creative person that just saw a lot of colors and a lot of smoke, you know? That's what I mean. He did. definitely saw a lot of colors and a lot of smoke and everything. I mean, some of the people I talked to were like, yo, he was determined to become a rock star and nothing was going to get in his way. And he understood creating stuff that like got your attention and threw people off and like was sexual and provocative, that would get people's attention. One of the things that like Des Dickerson and a couple people said was he was listening, and Morse Day, he was listening to Miss You by the Rolling Stones, and that motivated Dirty Mind, like sonically. And I don't, I, I mean, you know, my music knowledge goes to a certain level. Like, it's not to your level. Like, I don't hear that connection, but smarter music people than I do hear that. I don't know if you hear that or if you hear, I mean, like, that whole album, 30, 30 Mind, was so punk. It wasn't really black music. Like, he made it black because it was funky as hell, but it was kind of punk and new wave. Well, you got to understand, Prince's influences are James Brown, um, Sam Cooke, 
um, Chuck Berry. Um, I even think Michael Jackson was an influence of his because of the the the, the hype that Michael got to, and Prince sure. also wanted that same. He he also, I mean, you know, he saw himself on that same level. Um, so I just think that all of those artists are um, guys that went against the grain. They didn't do what, you know, Chuck Berry wasn't making black R&B type of music. He was making damn near rock music. Um, so I feel like he just was taking a page out of their, you know, out of page out of their book. One of the people who I think is a definite influence, and I'm sure you'll agree, who I think doesn't get enough credit for being one of Prince's fathers is Little Richard. And yeah, Little Richard. Side by side, it's like carbon yeah. copy. Little Richard, George Clinton, like all of these guys that are giants and kings uh, in their own space. Prince, Prince was a you know, Prince was a piece of all of that. Let's talk about Purple Rain because that's the album that really explodes and makes everyone fall in love with him on another level. Um, what do you think was so great about Purple Rain that it allowed it to be this commercial? success where before he had successful albums he was growing successfully commercially but purple rain was uh i think it was 100 million at the time it was like one of the biggest albums in the world that year yeah i think conceptual albums in music always have been the thing him just thinking about doing a movie and the soundtrack of the movie being his album was probably the most genius thing that anyone could ever do. And at this period of time, you know, this was back when soundtracks was like basically becoming the the boom. We was having this boom with soundtracks. And Purple Rain was uh, one of the first um, movie soundtracks that had that boom where people was buying the soundtracks. And, you know, every song on Purple Rain was a hit as far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah, you know what definitely. I mean? Um, so I, I just think that um, the whole idea of it and the packaging and everything, and then just to find what was he talking about, you know, you know, I, it was crazy because I, I, I actually had a, a moment with a woman one day and um, she had um, red pubic hair in her vagina, right? And... Uh, I thought that only white women had this. This, this was a black woman. And I never thought that black women, I never even thought that this could possibly be happening. And she told me that that's what Little Red Carvette was about. Not hers, but just that's what the song was about. And I was blown away from that. Like, what? <laughs> Did you ever hear that? No, no, you are blowing my mind right now. No, I've never heard that. Yeah, that's what I was told. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. One of the things that um, the people around him told me was the difference between 
Purple Rain and some of the other albums was that because it was tied to a movie, he had to make it more slowly. He had to work more methodically. Um, where the other albums were like a song a day, he made them very quickly. I mean, you make music. You've been making music for, what, 30 years? Can you help us understand the challenge of making a song a day? Because he was going in the studio for 24 hours, making a song, not leaving until the song was done. Yeah, and see, I do... I do. I try to damn near do two songs a day. Um, so, so you know, it's not it's not really that hard. And and what Prince Prince was in there by himself too. You know, um, when you're in the studio by yourself making music, um, you forget about time. You forget about everything that's around you. You just you forget to eat. You just in the studio creating. And if you catch that that wave or you catch that vibe, uh leaving is, is the last thing that you're thinking about. So so and with it, like I said, him being such a writer, um, I mean because like when I first started producing and writing, um, the first group that I put out was Silk Times Leather, this female rap group. And the way my credits were written on the back of the um on the back of the record, I got that from seeing the way Prince had his credits written because it said written, arranged, and performed by, right? Right. And I thought that that was just so strong that he was letting everybody know he was the writer, he was the producer, and da 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 So with me, when, when I came, I was young, I was 17, 16, 17 years old, I wanted people to be like, pay attention to this. That didn't last long, but you know, um, that's just what I... I got that from Prince. I, I I took that little piece from him trying to like put my credits like that. I mean, the, it, it, I don't think there's anybody else like this who would come in and do the drum part, the bass line, uh, you know, the keyboard part. You know, he's his own producer. You know, sing the backgrounds, sing the leads. Twenty four hours have passed. The song is mixed, mastered, done. On, I mean, like. That's 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 a lot. That's hard. Like playing every instrument. Who does that? Nobody, actually. You know, um, nobody. Um, and nobody. Also, nobody um, produces records under another name either. You know what I mean? He was he was so talented that he would do stuff almost just for him to know, right? So he created. Um, a name that he would put on other records that he would make that wasn't Prince, right? Um, and I, I'm, I'm trying to remember the name. It wasn't, it was some star. Um, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Jamie Starr. What was, what was that name about? Because <laughs> <laughs> you asked me, I thought you might have known. But yeah, he would, he would, that's what I'm saying. He was so talented and he was such in a creative space that he was like, I'm not gonna say Prince did this. I'm gonna say this other person did this. And I even, once again, I tried to do that too. I was like, shoot, the main decree gonna do this, and I'm gonna create this facade of producers called the Funky Bunch, and I'm gonna make it seem like it's a crew of us that do records. Um, and like, ultimately, none of that 
really matters to the fans, but it's just, it's just, it's something, it's just a creative thing that's in you that you can do it, right? And that's what, the same thing with me. I was like, oh, I can do this. Change the name, don't have to put my name on every record. We moved away from that where your name needs to be on every record, but just to let you know where Prince was, he just was in that space. He was just in a creative space, man. So wait, did you get to meet him and spend time with him again, apart from the first time you talked about? Um, yeah, I met him. I'm, I, we've met a couple of times, but we never talked. We met a bunch of times, but we never talked. Um, but he was, he was, for me, and I know, you know, since I'm in the business and I'm uh, like right there with him, if he was that magically and, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Mysterious, magically mysterious to me. He had to be magically mysterious to everybody else. Like, man, like, um, I remember one night I went to a club and in LA and Prince, he came. The way he was stunt on us that was in the club was at a whole nother level, right? So this was when booths, get a booth, get your bottles and all of this basically first got really, really popular in our culture. And Prince was in the booth by himself. In the booth by himself. Nobody sitting in the booth with him. He didn't want nobody sitting in the booth. And he had two securities, one on one side, one on the other. And he didn't want nobody. He didn't want nobody sitting with him. So then the security guard came and whispered in my ear, like, yo, Prince wanna holler at you. And I went, you know, and I went sat down beside him in the club. And um he just was back there on some player shit, like, yeah, what's happening? You know, <laughs> uh, you know, wasn't no real, real conversation at the club. It was just like, you know, he knew who I was. You know, we, I was just paying my respects, and he, and he, he actually had his security come get me so he could speak to me. Um, but the way he was playing it in the club was so cold, like, so cold. Like, it's, it's no way a female that was in love with Prince. Could have saw that not been like, oh, I'm going home with this guy tonight. It's no way possible, you know. So it's great. <laughs> um, I think "Sign of the Times" might be my favorite album. Do you have a favorite album? Favorite album? I, mean, I think I think "Purple Rain" is my favorite album. I think that I think that "Sign of the Times" got amazing songs. Um, but then my 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 favorite Prince song of all time is um, Ballad of Dr. Parker. Mmm. Why? Um, it's just so smooth. It's just the way he flipped the beat. Um, it's just, I mean, and Adore. I think Adore, I mean, it don't get no better than that, right? It's, it's like these and and like I said, it's just like I think that's what it is for me with him. It's just the fact that he was so genius. And even when you said what you said about him coming into the game on like this funk, punk rock type of thing, this dude had the deepest R and B stomach that you could possibly have in R and B. Like I don't know too many people who have a record like Adore. Like that's a real black person's ballad that will like grab you and pull you up out your chair, right? 
Prince ain't the guy that you would think would make that song. Well, he, I mean, like, he could make the blackest music ever. And Adore is definitely part of that. And just for me, the, the image of they're, they're making love and the angels are watching and crying and the angels tears that the beauty of this is coming down like like just that image just blows me away like the songwriting was incredible but dorothy parker let's talk about why you love that joint because it's so weird it's such a weird story yeah that's what i'm saying like that's 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 the I, I, and that's I, I think that's what you know um like it's crazy. I told Usher we should have made a movie called Confessions. Like we should have made a movie that basically showed exactly what I had written because it was that theater, you know, it was that theatrical. Um, um, and I think that's what it is, probably with the ballad of Dorothy Parker. Like you said, he's talking about a waitress um, that works the night shift. Uh, you know what I mean? And it's like. But but at the same time, Prince was the type of guy that would go into one of these diners and probably see a girl. And he, he had an eye for the finest women in the world. So I'm saying, like, I would have just loved to be there. Like, because I know, I, I, if Dorothy Parker's real, I'm sure she's fine as hell. The thing, that's, the thing I noticed is that when he does um, his love songs, usually, the girl is more powerful than him and she's doing him right and in in, in you know in all our records r kelly teddy pendergrass barry white whatever like the man is 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 taking charge with prince he's always like darling nikki raspberry beret dorothy parker like she's taking charge of him and 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 educating him and taking him up to another level and I think that was really important. It definitely was. All the stories, you know, like like Nikki. Like I said, I, I like I said, I tried to ask him about Nikki. I'm like, yo, like masturbating to a magazine in a hotel lobby. Like, really? Like, think about that. You <laughs> like I used to go into lobbies in hotels and look around to see if people was even actually doing that type of thing. You know, like for real, like. For you to think that, I mean, some of this shit had to be real because, like I said, you just can't. I mean, unless you just sit around and your mind is just that colorful. But to think about walking into a hotel lobby and you see this girl masturbating in the lobby, man. But it just establishes in that story she's more sexual than him. And how often do artists establish a story where the woman is more sexual than me, especially when I'm supposed to be the sex god. And like, here she comes. She's more powerful than me. She's going to turn me out and then leave a note on a bed for me. It's like, that's what I'm saying. It's a reverse pimp type shit. It's like, yeah. it's like he had us looking at him thinking he was one way, but he was doing some reversal shit that was like, yeah, you know, they think I'm crazy. I wear high heels. But I got, you know, I mean, I got all these girls. You know, it was some real pimp, real pimp player type. <laughs> and he had a perm, and you know what I mean? He was, he was a player. He was a pimp, like, all the way through. 
So, uh, you know, our, our friends at Remy Martin are sponsoring this. They help pull this together. What cocktail would you have if you could hang out with Prince today? What cocktail would you have with him? This right here, I would have this 1738. What I'm drinking right now, as y'all see, I just finished mine um, <laughs> with this cranberry juice. You know what I mean? Just to do a little, um, this smooth, it'll get you going. Um, and, and we'll sit there and talk about this. And I, and I, you know, and I feel like this is, this is the type of zone that Prince was in because he would have like, he would have like, he had the time playing downstairs in his basement that night of that party that I'm talking about. The time was downstairs playing in his house while we was in his bedroom talking and he was telling me to stop cursing. Like, this is, I'm not making this shit up. This is real. This is crazy. But, you know, you would need a smooth drink. Not no hard, crazy shots because you want to, you would, you would want to be able to continue a conversation with him, you know? So something smooth. I mean, when I think about um, Cognac in general, I think about our friend Andre Harrell. I think about, you know, celebration that is classy. You know what I mean? Like like upscale Atlanta, upscale uptown New York, like classy celebrations. And they always talk about, you know, like that's a classy way of celebrating in the club and that sort of thing. Like, why do you think there's that connection? Because like I said, I think I think it's a smooth space that um it's a smooth space that the culture likes to get into, right? Whether you smoking cigars or you smoking weed or it's 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 this vibey space that that's that hip hop has that's very similar to jazz, right? And jazz used to be the the underground sound of the city. People used to sneak out to go to the jazz club and dance and have you know have have booze and whatever. That's what they would call it, the booze. <laughs> and and the flow of it was like. You you go into something cool, right? And I think that that's what it is. I think the I think that the coolness of it um, creates this space that you want to be beside. The the culture wants to be beside the coolness, and then the, the grandness of this wants to be um, wants to be beside something that's not going to depreciate the flow, right? Because I went to I went to Paris. Uh, and actually went to the house where this stuff is made, oh, right? Oh. And um, it's it's so grandoso. It's so like fly, and it's so like it's so Paris. You know what I mean? And um, when you say Paris, you talk you want some fly shit. You know what I mean? So I just feel like it's 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 a connection to something that's fly. It's not a connection to like just some unstableness. It's like, where's, wherever the flyness is, this should be in that space. Um, you partnered with Remy Martin on a project celebrating the Harlem Renaissance. Talk about, talk about that project and what that means to you. I did the music to um, five poems from the Harlem, from the, um, Harlem Renaissance. And then um, what we did was re we recreated kind of that space in this day and time, but I redid, I did music that felt like um, 
more or less of like what I would do now, like jazz though, but I did it all jazz and I did it with all musicians, uh, myself and, and all of these musicians. No lyrics, because the lyrics was basically the poems. Um, and I felt like I was in my Quincy Jones moment. Like I'm, oh, I'm having my Quincy Jones moment. <laughs> I'm making jazz, you know what I mean? It's like, um, and I always dreamed of doing this, you know what I mean? I always felt like I could do it. Um, and I, I thank Remy for giving me the opportunity to do it and create that space because it definitely, it definitely was a um, a mind mover for me to to want to do a Jermaine Dupri jazz album. They got a um, team up for excellence project too that uh, that you're that you're a part of, right? Yeah. Tell me about that. I, I think that that the team up for excellence thing is the same thing that I was talking about before. I feel like if you if you this is my definition. It's not their definition. People, this is my definition. I feel like, um, you know, if you find someone or a company or anyone that's out there that you could um, join forces with, and their flyness elevates your flyness, and your flyness elevates their flyness, then you've teamed up for excellence. You've teamed up for something extraordinary. You've teamed up for something that people haven't seen before depending on what your strengths are. And that's my definition. Let me talk about Usher for a second because I look at Usher and I'm like, I think this is one of Prince's sons in terms of culture. Do you see it that way? Oh, of course, 100%. I mean, you know, um, I don't know if y'all remember when Usher did, I think last year, it was a year before, well, it was before COVID, when he did the tribute at the Grammys, right? I think people didn't think that Usher would be able to pull it off, but Usher's, you know, Usher's very much into that Prince mold, and his falsetto is not like Prince's, but it's good, and it's good enough to, you know, try to sing and, and give his version of a Prince record. Um, and he's a, and he's an artist that really takes a lot of pride in his falsetto, which which I believe is something that you can't say you didn't get from Prince. I mean, is that something like like Usher spent time like watching Prince, studying him among other people, and like formed his style? I'm sure. I mean, like I said, if you when you when you when you talk about singing falsetto um, and doing it um, on the level that Usher even does it, like when Usher did um, um, what's the song? Uh, damn, I'm just gonna blank. Uh, the Going Nowhere Fast song. Um, what's the name of the song? Come on, Tori. You know all the music. I'm blank. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, anyway. Y'all know the song I'm talking about out there that's listening to this. Uh, but, yeah, Climax. I'm sorry. Thank you. Climax, Climax, Climax. Yes. How could I forget? When Usher did Climax, he did the whole song false. He did the whole song in falsetto, basically. Um, and... To me, that's a that's an ode to Prince. Can you talk about Prince's falsetto? Because it was really something special. Everything about it was special. <laughs> Everything crazy. Like I, where he got it from is what I want to know. Like, what was Prince doing to develop all of this? Like, you you have to like think about how much practice. I know I do. I think about how much practice time this man put in before we heard his records. Because once we heard his records, we heard one of the greatest guitar players we ever seen come to earth. 
Um, and we heard one of the greatest voices and songwriters and producers ever, right? But it takes time to get to that. And he came into this game at a young age. Um, I, I would love to see a, a story on Prince, the young Prince of what he was doing to get the talent and get to that talented spot. Well, my podcast goes into that. We go into his his youth, the emotional uh, pain from his parents that led him to be like, yo, I have to be a rock star and I'm going to be practicing. He would just practice all the time. They were like, he did not take breaks when we went to rehearsal and he would just keep playing all the time, just, you know, constantly. And that's that's all he ever did was play music. He didn't care about anything else. It's, it's unbelievable. And I, I can't wait. I can't wait to, like, I'm going to listen to that. I can't wait to hear Because like I said, I, for me, it's just like, I don't think people understand how talented, but how how much practice you got to put in to become Prince. Um, you know, what what he became and who he is to us to this day. Um, people don't practice enough for that to be that ever again. And uh, Questlove calls him one of the greatest beat makers of all time. Yeah. Um, and I know you got a lot of experience in that lane. What do you think about that? Um, well, anybody that can make classic a beat, I mean, the beats that he made, like, say for instance, Nasty Girl, right? Nasty Girl probably is, I would want to say, probably one of his um, greatest beats. Um, but then, then the 7711, 9311 on the Time album, mm. you know, these records, he, he actually produced these records and he wrote these records. So I don't think a lot of people understand that. Uh, I remember when I was. <clears throat> like five or six years old, my dad taught me how to play drums, right? I, that's what I first started doing. I played drums at three. And one of the, um, one of the drum licks that I started learning how to play or tried to learn how to play was the 7711, 9311 drum lick. You know that, at that time, that beat sounded so ridiculous to me. Still to this day, the fact that he actually created that. That's not a loop. That's not something that, you know, like us dudes, we take from other places in this, that, the third. He made that beat. He made the hi-hat do that. He made, man, you know what I mean? So so I know one of the questions that you got to ask me is that how does it influence my career? I'm guessing they couldn't hear, so I'm just trying to say. Um, a lot of people say that the Jermaine Dupree sound is the loud hi-hat, right? A lot of people say that my hi-hat is really loud on all my records. And I do. I always want my hi-hats to be super loud. And I got that, that piece I got from Prince because on... Like I said, the 777-9311, it was all about the hi-hat. Um, on, um, um, on Kiss, the hi-hat to me, it sounds distorted. It sounds like it's distorted. Um, I, I pulled all of that from him. <laughs> that was my thing that I, you know... Um, that's the thing I that's the thing I really got from Prince is that I that's the way I heard his records. And I was just like, why is he making his records like this? 
Why is he why is he distorting the hi-hat? Why is the hi-hat this much louder than everything else that's going on? And when I started playing with the drum machines and getting able to do it, that was something that I just gravitated to. Is there something else that you can say uh, Prince influenced in you and your sound and your artistry? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The hi-hat. No, other, other than yeah, that. That's, yeah, the hi-hat, the, the hi-hat basically, um, the hi-hats in my record being loud and being like almost like in an area where no no other... Nowadays, that's that's changed because people have heard it and it's, it's starting to be a thing now. But when I first started doing that, like um, on the rap record, that's what I'm looking for. I tried to make the hi-hat sound like Kiss, you know? I deliberately tried to make it sound distorted and uh, as something that you really pay attention to like Kiss. So yeah, every record that he made, I always listened. I always wanted to hear how he was mixing the records um, and how the records were broke down, just how the records were written, period. Yeah. Um Man, it's an honor always to talk to you about music and to dig into the genius in your head. So thank you for, for this, spending this time. Thank you for having me. Happy June 10th to everybody out there. And uh, Torre, we have a drink soon. The world is open. Thank you so much. Peace. All right. All right. Thank you for checking out this bonus episode of Who Was Prince. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. If you haven't yet, listen, like, and follow Who Was Prince to learn more about the Purple One, to learn everything about his life.